0: everybody, welcome to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, where legends share legendary stories. This episode, Doc Hayes and the Glory Days of SMU Basketball, presented by the Fairfield Inn & Suites, Waco North. Hi everybody, really excited to bring you this episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. Presented by the Fairfield Inn & Suites, Waco North. Next time you're in Waco, book your stay at the Fairfield Inn & Suites, the official home base of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. My name is Jackson Michael, author of The Game Before the Money, and also author of Red, White, and Columbia Blue, Chasing the Dream with the 1979 Houston Oilers. A really special edition of the podcast today as we celebrate Coach Doc Hayes and the glory days of SMU basketball with four Mustang basketball legends, including two from SMU's 1956 Final Four team, Bobby Mills and Rick Hersher, and very thrilled to also have Max Williams and Denny Holman here to share stories about Doc Hayes, their fantastic coach, and the days when SMU basketball dominated the Southwest Conference. Elmore Onslow Hayes, better known as Doc Hayes, was born in 1906. He coached SMU basketball for 20 seasons from 1947 through 1967, and the Mustangs won eight Southwest Conference titles over a 13-year period during his tenure. He had a run of four straight conference titles and another run of three straight championships. The Ponies earned six NCAA tournament bids under Hayes and advanced to the 1956 Final Four. SMU went undefeated in conference play that year and only lost one Southwest Conference game the next. Doc Hayes' success at SMU helped grow the popularity of basketball throughout the state of Texas. He truly stands as one of the greatest coaches in Southwest Conference history. SMU basketball legend Max Williams talks about Doc Hayes' background before Hayes was hired to head up the Mustang program.
1: You know, Doc grew up in the, the little town of Crum, and he went to North Texas but it was called Denton Normal. Doc played there and then he coached here in the Dallas Public Schools before he went to SMU.
0: The nickname Doc came to Hayes because his dad was a doctor. He was at a soda fountain as a youngster and someone called him Little Doc and the name stuck. Hayes said that with a name like Elmore Onslow, you have to have some kind of nickname. Hayes played high school basketball in Crum and then played for North Texas's TIAA championship teams in the 1920s, including a team that went undefeated in association play during his senior season of 1927. He was an all TIAA forward for three years. An interesting note, about Doc Hayes' college basketball career. The Dallas Morning News reported in December of 1926 that Hayes would miss playing time after being bitten by a dog that later tested positive for rabies. He was scheduled to undergo Pasteur treatment and would likely miss at least three weeks. Hayes later earned a history degree as Max Williams told us, SMU hired Hayes out of the high school ranks in 1947. Hayes coached at Dallas's Crozier Tech High School, and he coached them to nine city and district titles and piloted the team to the 1946 Texas State Championship. Before that, he coached at Pilot Point High School. He also officiated college football and basketball games during the period that he coached high school basketball. Hayes' star player at Crozier Tech was Jack Brown. Brown followed Hayes to the hilltop at SMU. The Ponies went 13-10 in Hayes' first season. SMU then suffered losing seasons four of the next five years. But things were about to change. Doc Hayes never coached another SMU team with a losing record after the 1952-53 season. A big part of that shift came when Coach Hayes recruited Jim Krebs, a six foot eight, 225-pound center from St. Louis, Missouri. Other players came from St. Louis as well, and two of them are with us today. Bobby Mills came in in the same class as Jim Krebs, and Rick Hersher soon followed. Mills talks about what created that St. Louis to-SMU connection.
2: Well, there was an executive with the Cotton Bell Railroad who lived in St. Louis, and his name was Henry Spragans, and his sister, I believe, was the dean of women at SMU, and so that was his connection with SMU.
0: Jim Krebs had offers from about 20 colleges, and some of them were very established basketball programs. Hayes told Krebs that SMU offered the opportunity to build a winning tradition and that Krebs would be remembered for a long time as a cornerstone of that tradition. Mills said that Coach Hayes gave him that pitch as well and added something else to the sell.
2: Yeah, that was uh, one of the recruiting things. SMU had won some games, but they never really were what I would call a first-class team for a long time. That was one of the recruiting things that uh, he said, and they promised they would build a new gym if we came down there, and they did. They built Moody Coliseum.
0: I asked Mills if he knew Jim Krebs in high school, and he told a story about a Missouri State high school playoff in which three future SMU stars played. Did you play against Jim Krebs in high school? Did you guys play together? How, what was, did you guys have a history together?
2: Uh, I'm glad you asked that question because uh, Jim was my roommate at SMU, and Webster Groves, uh, where he was, was undefeated and uh, number one in the state. And I was at Cleveland High School, and uh, Ricky Hersher was also on our team, and we beat Krebs uh, in the semifinals for the state championship. And I never let him forget it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Meanwhile, basketball gained popularity on SMU's hilltop. During the 1953-54 season, the Mustangs played to overflow home crowds at Joe Perkins' gym. SMU's offense posted up big numbers on the board as well. Their game against defending conference champion TCU in January of 1954 shattered the Southwest Conference record for most combined points in a game that ended 85-84 in TCU's favor. The Mustangs later plastered Texas with 90 points. SMU ended conference play with a 6-6 record and averaged over 77 points a game, the highest total in the Southwest Conference. The next season, 1954-55, through was a breakthrough year for Southern Methodist University's basketball program. Sophomore center Jim Krebs and his tremendous hook shot took center stage. Bobby Mills' talks about the work that the coaching staff and Krebs put in to develop Krebs into an elite player.
2: One of the things about Jim, when he first came to SMU, he was big, but he was awkward. Uh, really, He really wasn't you know that great. In high school, he was so much bigger than everybody. He'd just stand next to the basket and make it. But uh, Coach uh, Hayes and Coach Pruitt spent hours with him practicing his hook shot right hand and left hand, and they really developed it. Of course, Jim had the desire to be a great player, but they worked with him hour after hour, day after day. I remember he'd be down at the other end of the court practicing. Somebody'd just be throwing the ball, and he'd be practicing his hook shot for 30, 40 minutes every practice.
0: The Mustangs' 1954-55 season started out a little rough. They lost five of their first six. The one win, however, showed great promise. They beat seventh-ranked Indiana on the road. In Southwest Conference play, SMU put together two win streaks, one of five games and one of four games. The four-game win streak closed out the season and propelled the Mustangs to the Southwest Conference title, their first since 1937 and only the third in school history the team made even more history as the first Southern Methodist team to earn an invite to the NCAA basketball tournament. The 1955 NCAA tournament included only 24 teams. SMU faced Bradley, a team that made it all the way to the national title game the previous season. The Mustangs trailed by 11 with a little over five minutes left in the game against Bradley, but put together a tremendous rally Spurred by five baskets by Captain Art Barnes. They pulled to within two with mere seconds left to play. And the Mustangs made a terrific defensive play, stole the ball, and raced towards the basket to attempt a game-tying layup. The shot missed the mark, however, and the Ponies lost a heartbreaker 81-79. By this time, the St. to Louis-SMU connection worked overtime in Coach Hayes' favor. Rick Hersher talks about how he was offered a scholarship.
3: After we won the state championship in 1953 and Bobby Mills decided to go to SMU, I guess I started thinking about going to SMU at that time, but that's getting a little ahead of the game because you have to be asked, right? Bobby was home from SMU because he was a freshman and freshmen weren't eligible for varsity ball at that time. So he came home to visit his folks and came to the ball game and it was a championship game and it was one of those great games and we won it on the last shot at the uh, buzzer and afterwards in the dressing room he came down and he said he wanted me to come to smu and that they were offering a scholarship now that's a little a little different than it is today (laughs) here is a player on the team and he has been an emissary obviously of coach hayes and asking players to come to smu and so i told him that i was excited and i would i was definitely going to come
0: 1955-56 was even a bigger season for coach doc hayes and smu basketball SMU went 2-1 on the road against opponents from the Mighty Big Ten early in the season, and that road trip helped raise the stature of Southwest Conference basketball at the time. SMU suffered their second loss of the season at Kansas on December 21st of 1955, but they wouldn't lose a game the rest of the way. They ended the regular season with a 16-game win streak, and a 19-2 overall record. Teams tried zone defenses in attempts to stop star center Jim Krebs. Doc Hayes countered the move by shifting his offense to the outside shooting of Larry Showalter and others. Showalter, who moved from Indiana to Dallas at age 15 and became a high school star at Adamson High School, knocked down 28 points against Rice and SMU shot nearly 52% from the floor in that game. Rick Herscher, a sophomore that season, talked about how Doc Hayes prepared his team for defensive tactics aimed to limit Jim Krebs and how Hayes allowed his players to ask questions during practice.
3: Coach Hayes would be having the drawing board there and drawing some plays out. And we want to clear out so Jim can get this hook shot, and we'd talk to him about what would happen if he couldn't get his shot. So then we would move the ball around and somebody else would get a shot from outside. But you could talk to Coach Hayes and he would have an open ear and listen.
0: Hersher added that Doc Hayes also was open to the players' inputs regarding strategy.
3: Bobby Mills and I developed some little strategies
0: Mustang offense proved virtually unstoppable. After the Rice game, TCU tried to stop Larry Showalter's outside shooting, but he still scored in double figures and the Mustangs racked up 105 points on the night to set a school record for most points in a conference game. After the game, TCU head coach Buster Brannon told reporters that Southern Methodist is the finest shooting team this conference has ever had. The new school record for points in a conference game lasted less than two weeks. SMU netted 109 points at home against Texas. Jim Krebs became the first player in Southwest Conference history to score 50 points in one game. He scored 20 field goals that game, layups, hook shots, and even some deeper shots. Krebs topped the previous conference single-game record of 49 points, co-owned by Slater Martin of Texas and Dick O'Neill of TCU. SMU basketball legend Bobby Mills remembers the game for us.
2: We knew that he was getting close to that 50 mark, so every time down the court, we tried to get the ball in the gym so he could pass that 50 mark, and he did.
0: TCU's Horned Frogs hoped to gain revenge against SMU late that season. TCU coach Buster Brannon figured the best way to play the Mustangs was not really to play at all. This was long before the shot clock in college basketball, and Brannon instructed his players to pass at least 25 times before taking a shot. TCU's Dick O'Neill took the first shot of the game three minutes into the contest. At halftime, TCU led 12-11, to 11. Rick Hersherd told us how Doc Hayes responded.
3: Coach Hayes, he's saying, you know, what are you doing? And Coach Bannon would yell back, well, remember last game you guys scored 106 points. This is the only way we can beat you. We're going to hold the ball. And he said, okay, if that's your game you want to play, we'll play it.
0: Television was still fairly new at the time, and college basketball wasn't televised very often. This game, however, was on TV. Mills and Hersher shared about that aspect of the game.
2: Whoever was holding the ball was going to be on TV, so everybody was trying to hold the ball. (laughs) Bobby,
3: I can remember...
0: So there's no scoring on purpose. Each team held the ball for minutes at a time without shooting. That was a big surprise to the television station, not to mention the fans who paid to attend. Turns out that everybody was in for another surprise.
3: All of a sudden, the lights go out in the middle of the game. The lights go out. And we thought, well, what was happening? And I'm not sure if this is true, but
2: it's been said that Dick O'Neill was the big star at TCU then, and his father was so mad uh, about how the game was being played that he turned electricity off in the in the gym. So <laughs> it was dark for a period of time, and they had to get the electrician to get the lights back on.
3: Okay, fast forward another 30 years or 40 years, I'm visiting with... Dick O'Neill who was the big scorer for TCU and he told me something that was hard to believe but he, he said this is the truth he said his dad knew where the switch was that could turn the lights off his dad was so upset because Dick
0: the Doc Hayes era of SMU basketball.
3: Hi guys, this is the Rocket, Roger Clemens, and you're listening to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast.
0: When you come to Waco, be sure to stay at the Fairfield Inn & Suites, Waco North located just a short distance from the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. You'll start your day off with a delicious complimentary breakfast, and you'll also enjoy the Fairfield Inn & Suites free Wi-Fi, fitness center, and pool. Next time you bring your team to Waco, make the Fairfield Inn & Suites Waco North your home base on the road. Welcome back to the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast, presented by the Fairfield Inn & Suites, Waco North. SMU won what's now become known as the Deep Freeze Game. The final score was 26-22. It marked the first time that smu won on tcu's home court in seven years southern methodist finished with a 19-2 overall record and went to the ncaa tournament for the second year in a row they drew texas tech who at that time was in the border conference you can hear more about texas tech basketball and the school's entrance into the southwest conference in the Gerald Myers episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. The Mustangs fell behind Texas Tech and trailed at halftime, but SMU escaped with a one-point victory to move forward to the West Regional Semifinals against Houston. Rick Hersher talks about how Coach Hayes and the team responded to the razor-thin margin over Tech. Texas Tech
3: had a good ball club. They were a good basketball team, and they played a good defensive game I guess the the big point is we prevailed but it was after that that Coach Hayes was very concerned because now we're getting ready to go from that game up into Kansas to play uh, Houston and Oklahoma City and he was really really concerned so we asked him if we could have a players only meeting and so all the players we sat around and Conversed about what happened. Why was that so close? And I'm not sure anybody came up with any real answers other than the fact that, look, we've got a good team. We're going to win if it's a close game or not.
0: Confident after the players only meeting, SMU topped Houston by 15 points and won the regional final over Oklahoma City University, coached by Abe Lemons, by 21 points. That win put SMU in into the 1956 NCAA Final Four. The team traveled by train to the Northwestern campus at Evanston, Illinois, for their Final Four matchup against the University of San Francisco, the reigning national champions who featured future NBA Hall of Famer, Bill Russell.
3: Before the game started, we got word that Bill Russell was sick. And he was throwing up in his locker room. All of a sudden head started turning, oh my gosh, this may, we may have a shot tonight guys. Well then years later, Bill Russell came to speak at one of the SMU forums, Larry Showalter and Bobby Mills and a couple of us. We got to talk to Russell before he spoke and we, we said, you know, we heard that you were sick before the game and we thought,
0: Everyone in the country knew Bill Russell's greatness, but scouting was nowhere near as sophisticated in 1956 as it is today. There wasn't game film readily available, and you couldn't just turn on the TV and watch your upcoming opponent's games. You had to take info where you could get it.
2: Bill Russell was the big star for the San Francisco Dons, and uh, I remember... The scouting report said that, oh, forget the guy's name, uh, couldn't shoot, but he scored a bunch
3: of points, that guy. But we did, our whole defense was designed to stop Russell because in our practice sessions, Coach Hayes had a friend who uh, knew a friend out in California that saw the Dons play quite a bit. He told Coach Hayes, Don't worry about Mike Farmer. He's in the corner. He won't, you know, he's not going to hurt you. You've got to sag and have everybody helping on Russell. And so that's what our defense was developed about stopping San Francisco. Well, (laughs) Mike Farmer, who was not supposed to be a threat at scoring, he ended up scoring, I think, 24, 26. I don't know. It was a lot of
0: points. San Francisco's Mike Farmer a sophomore, made only 37% of his shots over his three-year career at San Francisco. He averaged a mere eight points a game that season, but shot 61% from the field and sank 26 points against SMU in the Final Four. It literally was the game of his life. Bill Russell, of course, proved his worth, and Bobby Mills can attest to that.
2: I remember going down the middle once, uh, and there was Russell, and the next thing I knew was laying flat on my back on the court. He, <laughs> he just knocked me down like a piece of wood.
0: The Mustangs played well, but San Francisco was a legendary team that was just too tough. The Dons topped the Mustangs 86-68. to That was San Francisco's 51st consecutive victory the longest win streak in college basketball history at the time, and still the second longest ever behind John Wooden's UCLA dynasty.
3: Well, I, to this day, feel like that was one of the all-time great teams in the history of NCAA basketball. We got close at the end, but they had
0: Jim Krebs won the battle of the big men as he outscored Bill Russell 24 points to 17. Krebs' 24 points was the most an opposing center scored on Bill Russell that season, but an SMU national championship was not to be. Despite the loss, basketball fever hit SMU and the state of Texas. The Mustangs looked forward to their next season and the opening of the new SMU Coliseum, later named Moody Coliseum. More good news arrived for the Ponies when Max Williams announced his commitment to SMU. Williams led the small town of Avoca to a Texas state championship and was the first high school player in the history of Texas to be named All-State for three years in a row. He was known as a magician on the court with his behind-the-back dribbling and set the state high school record for most career points. Williams talks about his decision to attend SMU and play for Doc Hayes.
1: Well, it was a pretty simple decision for me. I grew up as a Methodist uh, in a little small school in West Texas. North of Abilene, and SMU had gone to the Final Four my senior year in high school. So it was kind of the place to go if, uh, if you got recruited. So uh, it was an easy decision for me to play for Doc.
0: Max Williams coming to SMU reflected the popularity the sport of basketball gained in Texas as Doc Hayes built a winner. Bobby Mills and Williams talk about how the basketball environment and recruiting changed in Texas as the Mustang program gained national recognition. Mills talks about the time before he arrived from St. Louis, and Williams talks about after the 1956 season when the team finished ranked in the AP Top 10.
2: At that point in time, people were recruiting from uh, the Midwest like Indiana, Illinois, and Missouri, Kansas, and basketball was a bigger thing up in that area than it was down here in texas a lot of people that were really great athletes played football rather than basketball
1: smu won the southwest conference two different times before i got to smu and there were lots of good athletes that came to smu
0: moody coliseum at that time known as smu coliseum opened to start the 1956-57 season to high hopes as All-American Jim Krebs and all-conference players Bobby Mills and Larry Showalter entered their senior years. The popularity of basketball grew throughout Texas and success continued for SMU that season. Bobby Mills sank the first basket ever at Moody Coliseum as SMU rolled to an easy victory over McMurray. The team started the season ranked fifth in the AP poll and climbed all the way to number three in January. Their 11-1 conference record won the Southwest Conference by a mile. That marked SMU's third straight conference title and meant that the seniors on that team won the Southwest Conference Championship every single year of their eligibility. Remember, freshmen weren't allowed to play varsity basketball in those days, and that rule was in place to help ensure freshmen had a chance to adjust to college life. The third straight conference title led to a third straight NCAA tournament appearance. SMU faced off against Kansas at Moody Coliseum. The game featured SMU's mighty Jim Krebs against Kansas's sophomore giant, Wilt Chamberlain. The Southwest Conference season always ended early so that coaches could attend the state high school playoffs in Austin, That meant that SMU had a two-week layoff before playing Kansas. The Mustangs got off to a rugged start. Jim Krebs committed a foul in the first 21 seconds of the game. Seven and a half minutes into the game, SMU trailed Kansas by 12. But this was March Madness. SMU rallied and pulled to within one point at halftime and took the lead early in the second half. They held a three-point lead, when Krebs fouled out of the game with just over five minutes left to go. According to the Dallas Morning News, the lead changed hands at least a dozen times in the second half. SMU's Ned Duncan hit two clutch free throws with 46 seconds left to go to put the Mustangs up by two. Kansas then tied it with a half a minute left.
3: We did have one last shot to win the game, but it went astray and they beat us in overtime. But that was the year we thought national champions, here we come.
0: The Jayhawks left SMU's new gym with a 73-65 to overtime win. Kansas made it to the national championship game and lost by one point to North Carolina. SMU won a tournament consolation game against St. Louis University, a team that featured many high school teammates of the SMU players who grew up in St. Louis. That game ended the college career of the great Jim Krebs, who later played in two NBA finals with the Lakers. The careers of SMU legends Bobby Mills and Larry Showalter also came to a close. Mills stood up in the locker room after the game against St. Louis and said that nothing could have been accomplished over their careers without the great guidance of Coach Hayes and his assistant Bob Pruitt. That senior group went 32-1 over three seasons at home and left campus with a transformed program that now owned national prominence. SMU entered the next season with a new lineup that featured Rick Hersher, Max Williams, and Bobby James. The 1957-58 team lacked the huge interior presence of Krebs, But Hersher says that Doc Hayes recruited with that in mind.
3: It's a credit to Coach Hayes, I mean, because he had some really good ballplayers, Max Williams and Kim Nash on the outside, and then Bobby James, just a natural shooter. So he recruited really strongly that year to bring in some players because he knew Mills and Krebs and Chilwalter. They were leaving.
0: Williams and Hersher add that Doc Hayes wasn't the type of coach to force his players into his type of system. Hayes adjusted his strategy based on his players' strengths.
1: He coached based on the ability of the players that he had to work with. If he had guys that were real good shooters, he would use a system where they got the good shooters open so they could shoot. We were kind of quick. We had some good good athletes and we always played
3: at a fast pace. That's what makes a good coach who can look at the players he has and make the adjustments and make some different outlines for his offense of where to get the shots and who should take them. And never was like one person just had to take that shot. Whoever had the good shot, you'd take it.
0: The squad was tested early at home against perennial national powerhouse Kentucky, coached by the legendary Adolph Rupp. The Wildcats had won three NCAA titles and had won 85% of their games under Rupp going into their matchup at SMU. Max Williams tells us the result.
1: My sophomore year, we beat Kentucky here at Dallas, and they won the NCAA that year.
0: SMU beat fifth-ranked Kentucky 65-64. In its game recap, the Dallas Morning News said that the win should be remembered as one of the greatest wins in school history. Rick Hersher scored 22 points and Bobby James scored 15 and pulled down 13 rebounds. Max Williams added 10 points. SMU's defense limited Kentucky to under 40% shooting from the field. Hersher praised Doc Hayes' innovative defensive scheme.
3: Coach Hayes developed A half-and-half defense, he called it. It was half-zone and half-man-to-man. We employed that against Kentucky, and that was something I think that Kentucky hadn't seen. It was a precursor to what we know as the matching zone defense. Coach Hayes, he was a little ahead of his time on developing that defense.
0: Southern Methodists sought after their fourth consecutive Southwest Conference Championship. The Mustangs wrote a three-game win streak into a home game against Texas A&M late in the regular season. A win would assure that SMU had at least a tie for the conference title. SMU looked to have that win secured after the Mustangs Albert Brown hit a clutch shot with 4 seconds left to take a one-point lead. Texas A&M threw the ball inbounds and the buzzer sounded. SMU players left the court thinking they had won. Mustang fans celebrated. But the Aggies had called timeout, and the whistle blew before the buzzer sounded. AM coach Bob Rogers rushed to the scorers' table, as did Doc Hayes and quite a few fans. Officials placed two seconds back on the clock. Per rule, the timeout gave AM the ball at midcourt. So adding two seconds to the clock after a lot of players thought the game was over, that in itself would be an odd finish to the game. But stranger things were about to happen. The Aggies inbounded and cadet Neil Swisher dribbled down the sideline and launched a desperation shot that looked to fall short. The buzzer sounded and the scoreboard showed SMU winning by one point. But that still wasn't the end of the game. One official was beneath the basket, and a second official was on the other side of the court. The faraway official called goaltending on SMU because a player had jumped and caught the ball. He awarded a game-winning basket to Texas A&M. All kinds of confusion ensued. Dozens of people surrounded the scorer's table, including several players, both coaches, and a lot of fans. SMU pointed out that the player who caught the ball wasn't tall enough to dunk and therefore it was impossible for him to have been above the rim. The Mustang that caught the ball argued that he was a foot and a half away from the basket and the shot clearly fell short. It took a full five minutes before the SMU players retreated to the locker room. Thousands of fans stayed over 20 minutes to figure out how the game ended. One fan asked the scorer's table who won the game a full 35 minutes afterwards. Rick Hersher said that perhaps the most difficult part of the loss was seeing Coach Hayes.
3: When we had that goaltending call and we lost the game and the outright championship my senior year, Coach Hayes had just had needles put in his shoulder, I think, for arthritis, and he had his arm in a sling. And to see him, you know, not believing that they took that took the game away, it was a sad Thing to see coach hayes who this could have been his fourth straight outright championship
0: coach hayes told reporters that he respected the official but added that he couldn't understand how the aggies could dribble twice and shoot in less than two seconds and also questioned how goaltending could have been called on a shot that missed by several inches the game marked the first home loss for smu in 45 games and dropped them into a first-place tie with Arkansas in the Southwest Conference. Both teams won their final regular season game and tied for the Southwest Conference Championship, SMU's fourth consecutive title. Rick Hersher was named Southwest Conference Player of the Year. That was the first time the award was presented. SMU and Arkansas played an extra game in Shreveport, Louisiana to determine who would play in the 1958 NCAA Tournament, and Arkansas won. Despite being Southwest Conference co-champions, the Ponies missed the NCAA tournament for the first time in four years. The Mustangs finished second in the Southwest Conference the next two seasons and slipped to sixth after Max Williams graduated. Mustang basketball was back on top for the 1961-62 and season, however, and SMU nailed down Hayes' fifth Southwest Conference championship. The NCAA tournament only included 25 teams, and Texas Tech represented the conference after defeating SMU in an extra game in Fort Worth. The 1964-65 season brought another Southwest Conference championship to the SMU campus. Junior Carol Hoosier and sophomores Charles Beasley and Denny Holman led SMU to a 10-4 conference record, and a first-place tie with Texas. The two teams played at the heart of Texas Coliseum in Waco to decide who would go to the 1965 NCAA tournament, and the game went down to the final second. SMU's Denny Holman attempted to pass, but a Texas player blocked it. The ball bounced directly back to Holman, who dished to sophomore Bob Burgett underneath the basket. Burgett calmly put the ball in the basket as the buzzer sounded, and the Mustangs had an 80-78 win. Burgett later said that he thought he had more time on the clock. Holman said that everything happened so fast that he almost didn't see Burgett. The Mustangs fell to Wichita State in the first round of the NCAA tournament, but rebounded the next year. The team won their second straight conference championship, this time outright with an 11-3 record. The Kansas Jayhawks knocked the Ponies out of the 1966 NCAA Tournament. SMU dominated the Southwest Conference in 1967. Conference Player of the Year Denny Holman led the team in scoring, but five players averaged in double figures. The Mustangs raced to a 12-2 conference record and finished four games ahead of the teams who tied for second place. The Mustangs faced steep competition in the 1967 NCAA tournament. They faced off against second-ranked Louisville at Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence, Kansas. Louisville had future NBA star Wes Unseld, but the ponies hung tough. The score stood tied at 81 with seconds left in the game. Holman and Charles Beasley hatched a plan as the two teams lined up for a jump ball in the game's waning moments. Here's Denny Holman telling us what happened.
4: The game was tied and Charles Beasley, who played with the Chaparrales also, was a great player for SMU with me. And and, and he uh, he and I made eye contact. They had a jump ball at their end and we had beaten Texas on a play just like this. And, so we looked at each other and we both knew what he was gonna do. And Louisville didn't think he, he could out jump the guy he was jumping. So when the ball went in the air, I took off running and he hit it like a volleyball. And I caught it on one bounce and went in and made a layup with two seconds to go, so we beat him by two points. So it was always, you know, it was, it was a fun deal to do And, you know, I I can't tell how many people come up to me and say, hey, I was at that game where I saw that play, and that was unbelievable. Charlie was a great athlete, and he, you know, when you play with guys for three years like that, you you understand each other, and you're able to do things together.
0: SMU won 83-81 in true March Madness fashion. The Mustangs moved into the national regional final against Houston, and their star elvin hayes houston won that game and it marked the third time that a doc hayes smu team lost a tournament game against a future nba legend that game was doc hayes's final game as head coach of the smu mustangs his longtime assistant bob pruitt took over as head coach a man who once played for doc hayes and a man hayes praised often for his contributions to SMU success. Doc Hayes was 61 at the time. He said that his doctor said that he was in good health and Hayes said that in order to keep that good health, retiring from coaching basketball would be a wise choice. He called coaching basketball, quote, a crazy mixed up world and added that someone once told him that you didn't have to be crazy to coach basketball, but being crazy certainly didn't interfere with the job. He said that he wouldn't trade a minute of the drama, excitement, anxiety, success, and failure that he experienced in his 40 years of coaching high school and college basketball. He was known as a colorful coach. He once tossed his sports jacket at least 10 feet in the air in response to an official's call, a feat that many around campus attempted to duplicate, but no one ever figured out how he threw his sports coat that high. He was known for his colorful quotes to reporters and responses to officials. Hayes rushed onto the floor to argue a call during the 1965 NCAA tournament. The ref gave Hayes a technical foul, and Hayes responded, that's the first correct call you've made all game. Events were put together to honor Hayes when he retired as SMU's head coach, and the Dallas Morning News posted several effusive articles celebrating Doc Hayes and his character and success. Doc Hayes and his wife Kathleen were tragically killed in a car accident in 1973. The Mustang family previously suffered the death's of Jim Krebs in 1965 and Bobby James in 1959. Krebs was killed while cutting a tree, and James was killed in a fire before his senior season. Those remain some of the most saddest moments in SMU history. Coach Hayes and his teams also brought some of the biggest joys to SMU. Hayes' eight conference titles are the most in Southwest Conference basketball history. Only Eddie Sutton and Tom Penders have more NCAA tournament appearances, and they coached in a day with 64-team tournaments rather than 25 or fewer. Doc Hayes also owns the most wins in SMU history, even though current teams play more games per season than in Hayes' era. TCU's legendary coach Buster Brannan called Doc Hayes the greatest coach in Southwest Conference history and said that he never saw an individual enjoy so much success but never change. Character meant a lot to Doc Hayes and so did academics. He made Rick Hersher promise to return to get his degree after he signed a Major League Baseball contract with the Milwaukee Braves. Hersher followed through on that promise and later became an orthodontist. Indeed, many of Hayes's players succeeded in life long after their basketball careers at SMU ended. Doc Hayes taught his players to excel in all areas, and he set the bar high for coaching success in Southwest Conference basketball.
2: I think one of the things about Hayes was uh, he was almost a father figure to the players that, that came there, especially the ones that were out of town. He was just a, a really a nice, nice person, demanded the very best that he didn't put up with any foolishness, but he was just a real nice person, and everybody
3: uh, respected him and appreciated him. It was a family affair, really, with Coach Hayes. He took care of his players, and that word got around. He was so genuine in his care of the players.
1: Just a fabulous human being. And very well known, very well liked. As far as we were concerned, he was Mr. Basketball here in this part of the world.
0: Doc Hayes was inducted into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in nineteen seventy two. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Texas Sports Hall of Fame podcast. Presented by the Fairfield Inn & Suites, Waco North. Come visit the Texas Sports Hall of Fame in Waco. And when you do, book your stay at the Fairfield Inn & Suites, Waco North. It's a slam dunk of a hotel.